Max Gorlin, Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey, friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. Wow, what a week of footy we got to experience. There is so much for us to look, to listen, to discuss, and dissect. Round one is in the rear vision mirror. 20-odd weeks to go in your fantasy footy season. You've got MJ with you. Joining me on this episode for his first in-season podcast. In fact, our first only in-season podcast, unless you're a Patreon. I've got Kane on. Hello, buddy. Hello, MJ. Oh, it's exciting to have it back, but it's... It's also a little bit stressful, isn't it? We're into this rhythm now where we've got to be keeping up with all the news. We've got to be making decisions every yeah. week. I always feel like yeah. in the pre-season, we, we all come across that moment where we're super into it. We make a bunch of changes. We sort of back off. And then obviously when we get the pre-season games, we really dial it back up. But we're locked in now. We've only got anywhere between two and three trades to deal with per week for the rest of the year. Yep. So we sort of are what we are, but at the same time, there's a lot of room to shift things up. And I know a lot of people are super happy with their ranking and super upset at the scale. Yeah. Um, a lot of free to be played. And I guess that's what we're here to chat about, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly what we're going to dissect over this episode. And again, a massive thanks to our Patreons for their support over the preseason, in season. They've been ants, uh, giving us a whole bunch of questions that we're going to get to throughout this episode. Of course, if you want to support the coaches panel, get some exclusive content uh, for doing it as well, including a weekly round review podcast from me. Uh, you can find all the details for that, coachespanel.tv. But let's talk about round one, Kane. There was a lot of trends we saw in the preseason followed through and those probably were two key ones rucks and inside mids pure inside mids and not much else didn't see that huge ceiling that we'd notoriously seen and for the majority there is always exceptions for the majority outside style players running defenders and intercept defenders all got a nice scoring bump that's both a positive and a slightly alarming trend that we saw that it was validated again across the round yeah it's really interesting MJ I guess if we start with the rucks to have no ruck crack a DT ton is something I think is is really you know rare in general not just in the last few years when we've had you know the monsters you know the the Grundies and the Gorns in particular we've seen you know obviously um, guys like Tim English are on the rise we've seen Riley O'Brien sort of coming to nowhere but mm. to have not one ruck rack up a ton and for that <laughs> top ruck to be Matthew Flynn who I know a lot of people were um, not divided on having him in this in their squad of 30 I think he was almost a consensus pick across at least the community that we engage with on a regular basis mm. but yeah the discussion was obviously is he R2 or is he R3 that was obviously a big thing so for first week to go wow this guy that's pretty much bargain basement to be the top scorer in the ruck line Wow. I think that shocked a lot of people. Um, and I think obviously the stuff that when we talk rucks, we're not going to talk all, all of them for every club. We're really going to talk a few. And that is Gorn and Grundy being under par. I think if we start with Grundy who played first. Yeah, let's do that. It was already it was already a tough matchup, wasn't it, MJ? Steph Martin is is the ruck equivalent of a tagger. Yeah, he is. So when you couple him with Tim English, who's super mobile and they're sort of teaming up against you, you throw that into, into the mix as well that, Grundy's absolutely monstered the dogs. So in terms of just 
crossing this off their list and having this guy who's been a bit of a bogey player behind mm-hmm. them. Um, it was all pointing to a really tough day for Grundy. You combine that with the Pies loss and the Bulldogs dominating possession of the ball. Yeah. Um, to be honest, you look at what he scored, especially in DTMJ, you have to be bloody happy with it. Um, Gorn was interesting. I was lucky enough to go to the footy, which was refreshing in amongst itself after <laughs> what we dealt with last year. But um, it was alarming, MJ, as an owner, the way he was used structurally. He was on the ground plenty. And again, he totally. did have a lot of um, you know, centre bounces and all that good stuff. Uh, from a Supercoach point of view, Melbourne losing the first nine clearances of the game Hurts. didn't really help his score. And we know how much the Supercoach, a good start, really set you up. Lockie Neal was the king of that. Getting that good 40-point first quarter for him pretty much yeah. every week, yeah. you're on the way. But it was around the grounds that people noticed. He was playing full back. He was really taking that, not just a kick from 50, which we know now with the kick-out rule, you can really clear that 50-meter arc quite comfortably. Totally. He was a kick behind the kick, MJ. So the way Freo was moving the ball, um, it wasn't really getting to that zone too much. You know, they were they were struggling to take a mark inside 50. And in early part of the game, they mm. could struggle to take a mark around the ground. So... Um, as much as Gorn was quite poor in what we expect, again, the way the game went, he did well late to get to the score he got to. To have a 90-odd in Supercoach and that 70-odd score in, in DT, like while it's disappointing and a lot of people captained him, I think people are jumping at shadows with this ruck trend because both of those games, Grundy and Gorn in particular, they weren't optimum games for multiple reasons, whether it was opponent or just yeah. the way the game played out stylistically. I think that's a really interesting point. Last year, again, not too many people want to rewind all that far back and look into 2020 for a variety of reasons. But let's look at Max Gorn just as an example, as an illustration. Round one, heading into 2020, before, again, 2020 had some different contrasts and compromises and issues through it. Round one, what did he score? 73 in Dream Team and Fantasy. 93 in Supercoach. Now, yes, shortened quarters waiting. So Supercoach, same amount of points available per game. What did he do beyond that? Let's remind ourselves, let's not make the same mistakes because this was the same narrative coming around round two. Oh, no, Gorn's not going to be great. Oh, no, it's not worth it. Oh, no, maybe. And it's a maybe because we don't know what the future holds, but maybe we can learn from the past. This is what he did the following just five or six weeks across the formats after footy returned post-COVID. 123. These are all non-adjusted scores in Dream Team and Fantasy. 123, 99, 131, 105, 116, 103. Not adjusted, shortened quarters, monster scores. Supercoach, 184, 141, 163, 153, 185, 157. This is my concern, Kane. I think you've already picked it up beautifully. We spend these preseason days, weeks, months. If you're a coach's panelist, it's closer to months than the other two, probably. We, we have this perception and this, this is what will be my season. And then reality hits in round one and it will happen to a bunch of players. They underperform for whatever variable reason. They don't deliver like they did in the preseason. Like, and we 
panic. We jump at shadows. Maybe even Jordan Degoe sits into that category. Maybe a Jake Lloyd jumps into that category. These guys we spend dollars on, expectations on. For some, it's even Josh Kelly. They've panicked at a 90-odd score across the format. What, what would you say to coaches that find themselves in that position right now where premium under delivers in round one? How do they know the difference between a jumping at shadow versus pivoting with something changing? It's really interesting, MJ. And I think the last thing on Gorn, I think the other reason it was disappointing was, unlike Grundy, we thought the opponent was really friendly. And I can see people looking back to last year saying, well, a poor score against Nick Natanui is not uncommon. Whereas this yeah. year he had Lloyd Meek. I think it was an opportunity people thought to yep. really feast. And I think it tipped a lot of people that were 50-50 on Gorn or Grundy towards the Gorn camp, that early fixture. Um, it's interesting, MJ. Pretty much every player bar maybe a couple a year yeah. have what I would say a bad score is, you know, maybe a sub 80 across. It's really funny though, isn't it? That when it gets to round six, 10, yeah. 15, and let's say a Gorn, you know, drops a 82 in DT and a 85 in Supercoach, you just go, yeah. oh, well, it's okay. It's fine. The hard thing yeah. with round one is people want to extrapolate this out all yeah. the way now to be his whole season. And that's yeah. the problem. When it's in round eight and you've seen Gorn go 130 for two months, yeah, you put up with the bad score. You've totally. had score where you've really got to keep faith and back in these guys that you believe. And again, one game should not sway your belief from someone like a Gorn or Grundy. It's just a bad score. And history would say that maybe one, maybe two, maybe three for these guys with monster ceilings, they will have a stinker. Yeah. But on the flip side, MJ, like we always say, if he's had a stinker and we still think he's going to average 130, the bad day's already gone. You've already popped it. As you always say, it, you've banked it. You can't do anything about it. Exactly the right. scores would be on the way. So that's why I think if it's a super uber guy like Lloyd's, you know, like yeah. Grundy, like the Gorn, that you've picked in to really be a pillar, to even be that captaincy option. You have to just keep the faith and back me. I think the players that people, not panic per se, but get nervous on is the breakout guys. I think those yeah. are the ones that cause a lot of stress early. I think so. Hey, midway through this episode, it's been a while since we've had this lad join us on a podcast. We dropped the link. He thought, stuff it. I'm coming in to join the episode. For a long time, we haven't heard from this man. The reigning superstar, Fish, is on. Hello, mate. How are you? G'day, boys. How are we all? There we go. There we go, oh, mate. Good, it's good to see you, Fish. Uh, hear from you for those that can't see what we get to see. By the way, he's just as good as looking as you can imagine, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this episode. That's all you need to know. So we're talking about... Um, we're talking about this ideology of, of, of pivoting and jumping and moving away from our rucks. Um what do we do, not just with rucks, but with premiums? We see this underperforming score, so we, we jump away. But I suppose, Fish, maybe the opposite could be the same too. Like we see a Dustin Martin brain it for us in round one. Absolutely gives one of those big ceiling scores that we haven't seen all that often in, in DT or fantasy for a while. Are, are we doing the reverse and going, oh, He's killing it and jumping, and now we've missed that big one ceiling score for the year? I suppose the big thing is is that the, the chance is there that he does do it again this week, in particular against Hawthorne. Um, yeah. 
they are a team that give up a lot of points. So, yeah, you may have missed that first one. And if you are going to jump to him, you really want that massive score again in at least the first couple of rounds to make it worthwhile making that jump. Dusty's probably one with the game that he plays and the lineup that he plays in that I think you could probably gather that he would be going pretty big a game this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, there's not, it's not too much of a hard one, I think, with him with that forward line as well because we just really don't know who the guys are that are going to end up in that top six there. There's just so many spots available. He's probably one of the very few that you could say, yep, you know what, I'm going to ride him and that's it. Uh, and and now we find ourselves in a, a position, Kane, where arguably one of, if not the most likely to be the top performing forward across the formats, um, Patrick Dangerfield, out for three weeks. Before we look at who are the trade options, and, and Fish have already alluded that Dusty's probably one of the more secure ones we could look at. Could you try to convince someone, Kane, on a world of where... Is there a world where we should be looking to hold him at all or regardless of the format you play because it's three weeks? Is there a world we should keep him at all? I think you can definitely look into it. And it wasn't something that naturally came out to me. I was pretty much thinking, who am I going to go to straight away? But uh, the more I thought about it, the more I chatted to other people, uh, getting more information when we've just come to these new rule changes and we've just come off a season that was like no other. And we know that scoring and pricing was so different last year that it's left us in this weird position where there might be some guys that are super overpriced and also some that are really undervalued. So having more information, waiting that week, especially while we've got plenty of players on the bench. Now, the really frustrating thing is that Dangerfield's playing on Friday night and we yeah. don't really have any rookies. You know, maybe a Paddy Dow is someone that you could put an emergency on the bench and, and roll through there. But really, you know, you're probably putting on a, Anthony Scott, you're putting on maybe a Brockman, you may be putting on a McNeil, someone that you probably don't have a lot of confidence in. So you're probably going to be losing anywhere between, you know, it could be up to 80 points at worst. You know, yeah. if he has a decent game, maybe it's only as low as 30 to maybe a Dustin Martin Fish. As Fitch mentioned, he's got an awesome game against Hawthorne matchup wise. So I think the only reason you wouldn't do it is for data. You want more information. And really, if you do make a more informed choice, those 80 points over more than 20 rounds, like you can chew that up in a heartbeat. So um, personally, I'm more inclined to trade, move on. I think the other risk with carrying someone is if something happens next week, you've still, you've got a guy that's a zero. You've got a guy that's a lot of cash sitting on the pine um, and you just never know in this season. You lose a couple of rookies, you can be staring down um, something a little bit more menacing. So I'd sort of prefer yeah. to just, patch it up when I've got it, same with Rao, um, and just move on and keep those um, dollars on the field. All right, fair enough. Well, Fish, help, help me out. Dusty's obviously, it feels like the no-brainer move in Supercoach. If you're not one of the 50% of owners that have him in that format, it feels like premium forward to premium forward, job done, everybody's happy. If you are a Dusty owner, or for whatever reason you've got an objection to picking him, um, we'll pray for you later. I don't know why that's the case, but who are the players that we should be considering in just a pure forward line manoeuvre if you're needing to go and get a cover option for danger? Yeah, I suppose, as, you, as we've said, Dusty is one of them there. Um, you know, Dunks, Dunkley, obviously, their preseason game last week, just got a heap of the ball, was around the ball a lot, loves to tackle and just picked up his points there. 
you know, we were a little bit concerned and probably there still are a few, a few question marks with that Bulldogs midfield as to how that is going to end up, um, mm. you know, say a month or so from now. But at, at the moment, you know, it looks like Dunkley's going to be a very safe choice as well. You know, we saw guys um, on that second line like Tom Phillips didn't quite hit the numbers that everyone was looking at the preseason. But at the same time, you know, you guys have alluded to that was always going to be the case. He wasn't going to have that midfield role. I think he attended two centre bounces or something yeah. roughly but still pulled out, you know, a 90 or whatever it was in real yeah. team and the coach. So he is still someone I think that this new rules will suit because he just runs and runs and runs and runs all day. Um, he gets the ball. They're going to be wanting it. He's not going to be stopping. So you can look at him. Jai Caldwell, you know, another sort of one of those cheaper type guys was in everything for Essendon. Um, mm. I was a bit surprised, obviously, watching the game live and then, you know, he obviously hit the ton and dream team, but the super coach points weren't there for him. Mm. That might just be one of those things that occasionally happens. Um, you know, and then you go through, I think, you know, Jaden Stevenson's probably a guy that's on the lips of everyone this week. But when we do talk about, and this is what I think Kane's saying in terms of data and, and what you can trust, do you really want to be trading to a guy that at the very least next week could pump out a 60? Yeah. Could, Kangaroo's midfield has come back. Does he still have that midfield role where he's running a muck? You know, he's probably one guy that has a bit of pace in that midfield. So is he going to be someone that they sit on? You know, that's the key thing that you've got to look at there. And I think the other thing with him as well is you can trade into him with your buy structure and everything, making it easy. But is he going to be a stepping stone to a true premium? And if that's the case, then his buy is terrible. You probably mm. want to stay away from him because you've got to get rid of him before that anyway. Or, you know, do you just go for the pure out-and-out out premium in that forward line, which are those other guys like we mentioned? Yeah, it's a good call. So, Kane, every format requires a different strategy and a different structure. So you're a danger field owner. Stevenson feels like the hot pop pick at the moment that it's the, I can get him, I can fix up a line issue elsewhere, or I can stash some cash or whatever you want to do. Talk me through the formats with Stevenson because Fish just beautifully nailed a bunch of guys through that forward line we can pick across formats. But narrowing on an AFL fantasy with Stevenson specifically and then those other formats, is he the right pick? Is he the burn pick? What's your take on Stevenson? He's definitely a defensive pick, MJ, because <laughs> everyone's going him. So I think there's a few things that are really attractive to people for Stevenson. The first one is the narrative. New club, we love new club. We we so many guys have come to a new club and taken their game from good to great. You think about Tom Mitchell, Dangerfield, um, the list goes on. We love that. We love a new role. We love a new role. But there's the narratives that Stevenson's never spent any time outside of the Ford 50 in his life. If you listen to some of that chat about his time at Collingwood, he's got a new role as well. The ceiling was is big. For what we saw yeah. in that round, for a Ford to get over. 120 and nearly touch 130. Yeah. And now, as Fish mentioned, we've got the rules. Fast, very fit, especially if you saw any of his junior footy. He's played that role in juniors. He was a guy that could kick five on the wing totally. and really carve it up. He also spent some time on the inside mid for Eastern Rangers, and he was in that team since he was 16 years old. So this is a guy that does know his way around the midfield. My major worry is the cattle that's coming back in. When you couple in Dumont, who's already said that he's going to play that winger role, did it last year, very good at it, very industrious type of guy. Yeah. You throw in Cunnington and Anderson, pure inside mid types. You know, Dom Tyson is the one, top of my head, 
could be probably coming out, but you've also yeah. got Davies, Uniac and Simpkin that really um, did a really good job in there. We know that Stevenson got a couple of CBAs, but just from a ball movement point of view, is he really going to have the luxury to go big? For me, it feels like if it's a defensive move, it's probably a two to three weaker. Um, the fixture does get a little bit trickier after that as well. Again, Gold Coast this week, but after that, you see the Bulldogs on the horizon. Yeah, the Cats not too far away either. So we know when they're playing the game style they want to play with their midfields, they can be quite possessive with the ball. Yeah. So for me, I just don't see him ever reaching that premium mark, which maybe at his price is a ninety. Um, especially when I haven't seen it with those other mids. So for me, he's probably an AFL fantasy player only. Yeah. Even with that, I want to be having an exit strategy in two to three weeks, which we know in that format's a lot easier said than done because one other thing pops up and he's in your team like fish said all the way to the buy. And what do you do with him then? So uh, that's all right at this stage. Yeah, because I think he's that interesting player that you bring up that fascinating point, Kane, about how you can unintentionally get stuck with these guys that aren't performing bad enough for you to force a trade quickly, but they're also not justifying enough of a reason to upgrade with urgency. And so he might be floating quite possibly around that 75 to 80 marker for the next three weeks. He'll still generate your 50 odd K in that format of the game. But as we've seen this week, you can end up with a double or even a triple injury curse. Rowl owners, danger field owners, a smaller percentage, but harms owners. All of a sudden, that plan you might have had on Saturday afternoon of, ah, right, I'm going to get Sam Walsh or what I saw from Dusty. Dusty's my target. I'm going to make this. Or, ah, I made the wrong cash cow selection, so I'm going to go and get James Jordan. I missed him. Well, now all of a sudden, you might not be in a position to be able to get him this week because things happen in the game. And Fish, you've won a format before in this game and you understand luck's an element of it, but how important is good planning with the data and the information we have to be able to succeed in our overall strategies? I think that's, you know, exactly where Kane has said before in terms of it, that the hardest thing with danger this week is moving him on. You're doing it based on one game with completely yeah. new rules, completely new teams, limited preseason that we've had for the players. And there's just so many factors that come into it there. Um, you know, ultimately, if you can't have that data, you can't make an informed decision. And then you probably got to wonder, well, why weren't these other guys in my team in the first place? Yeah, good call. Um, and that's where that then that decision then comes back to. If you can't guarantee they're going to be in that top, you know, we always say about the top percentage in their line, you know, in the forward line, you, you want them to be in that sort of top five if you're moving them in this early. Um, I think the biggest thing with planning is that you need to have some idea. We don't know where, you know, fixtures are heading, what type of breaks are going to be coming, how this sub rule is going to impact things. Um, what the teams are doing, as we're saying, with the limited preseason, with the faster games, are there going to be players getting injured more often? Is this going to be something that we're going to have to be looking at? So, you know, without all of that data, this call, you've got to make the right call. And for one week to wait on it, it might work. If you go with Stevenson, why can't you trust one of those guys on your bench for one week? Um, yeah. The biggest problem with you, Stevenson, is everything that we've seen with him. He could be the type of player that pumps out a 30 or 40 this week. And by then, That's you've true. wasted a trade. You're stuck with someone. So for something like that with such a risky pick in the limited trade formats, he's 
probably one that you definitely have to stay away from because you don't have the data there. On the flip side of that, the likes of, you know, your Dusties, your Dunkleys, they've got history. You know what they can do. They've done yeah. it for a period of time. It's probably a little bit different with the data for those guys. The thing, MJ, that I will say that's so appealing about those moves is these are the moves that can put you ahead of the pack and on for a massive season. Like, if you were quick to react to a Petrarca last year when you missed him, if you were quick to react to a a Boak in previous years or a Simpkin, especially those forwards that you get that midfield clock, and while it's not our typical inside mid clock for Stevenson, it is a clearly different role. So I think that's that's what everyone's chasing. They're chasing that guy that at this point, you know, it's the Jordan Ridley of last year. It's that mm. premium player that you're getting anywhere from 150, 200K under price. And you're not only getting them under price, you're getting good points from them because they're matching or if not bettering a lot of the best premium. So I totally get the logic. It's just at this stage with all the information I have, I don't have that sort of lean. You know, I don't have that sort of thing where I'm thinking, I saw Petrarca last year dominate the preseason. I wanted in my team. I went a 50-50. Otherwise, I'm seeing the roll in around one game. I'm making the move. I don't quite feel that strongly. Maybe Caldwell in terms of a role um, sure. has it. But at the same time, I've, he's still so young, new club. Um, and again, it's a good matchup against Hawthorne for the most part. Like, Do I really think he's top six? For me, not at this stage, but I'd be totally shocked if he was. No, because he's a good, really good kid. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do get people wanting to chase it because it has a massive reward if you find that right guy. That's that fascinating thing. And again, some coaches find themselves with a felt two force trades this week. Um, and I say felt because there are some in the community that are really happy to hold danger for the three weeks, hope they get rookie roulette going their way, give themselves a vice captaincy loophole. Again, I wrote about this at coachespanel.tv today where they just go, I'm going to get three weeks of a safe vice captain. I might get an extra rookie on the ground and the points gap might be a hundred points over a three week period of time, but I've now got a unique premium who's capable of being the top. So that's some of the reason why I might hold. You've heard a little bit about some of the reasons for players and targets and options, but again, then you've got a Matt Rao who coaches have to decide. Could fish some of the ideas that Kane's talking about this guy, that's an underpriced option in Stevenson could if someone's in that similar position where they've got a row and a danger field to move on, could they use a similar mindset approach of, well, I'll take danger field down to a Stevenson who's my stepping t- stone type, which is what I thought row would be, and I'll turn a row up to a McRae or a Mitchell or something like that that I've missed. Is that a, is that a right mindset or, or is there some flaws in that logic too? I think, you know, you're always looking to improve the team. So regardless of whether the trades that you're making, whether you're trying to jump on someone to make cash, whether you're jumping on someone to bring in points. Yeah. So whether it's real or dangerful that you do that too. I think the difference when you look at Matty Rouse, if you only have him to deal with alone, is he doesn't quite have that fat in him. Um, you know, we've bought him and we've bought him in if you have because he's underpriced. He was mm. cheap for what we thought he was going to put out there. And as a result of that, though, it limits the options that you have in terms of when you're going to go and get him and what you're going to do with him. You're not going to get too many premium mids in case you were someone that maybe didn't jump on a Taranto at the start who we've seen before can score at that rate that puts him in sort of that maybe not the uber mids but in that next tier of mids. But if yeah. you do have him already, you're probably pretty limited with Raul in terms of what you can do. So 
you know, if you've got Danger and Rao together, then by all means, I think getting the two of those guys and actually making something out of that and trying to get, at the very least, an absolute top-tier midfielder from those two. And then with the change left over, you do something with Danger. Um, and that can be, you know, with DPP nowadays, and most people have set their team up that way, you can make some pretty significant moves and and probably pick up, you know, all the data. We talk about data, but everything seems to show so far that those guys in the back lines, um, you know, most people are sort of tailoring their teams around them. So if you're someone that's got a still one rookie on your field in your back line, these are perfect opportunities to start to manoeuvre that around and maximise your points there using yeah. these two guys to pick up yeah. an absolute gun and then someone that's ready to pop. Yeah, it's a really great point, isn't it, Fish? It's not just going, okay, I can move a danger in a route. Well, go get your McRae's if you were bullish on wanting him but just couldn't squeeze him in. Now you might have realized, oh, I can have more faith in a rookies in a specific line that I didn't realize. Maybe you had James Rowe, for example, on your bench. And now you're like, Scott's okay. I can, Harrison Jones, he's okay. Like, I can deal with a 50 out of those guys there. But, oh, I wasn't happy with that delivery of a cash cow line. I realized that restructuring. That's the benefit of these injuries for us, isn't it, Kane? Is it gives opportunity that maybe we might be a bit more hesitant to go for, especially in Supercoach and Dream Team with limited trades. It opens up that opportunity of, right, uh, now's my opportunity to address and get those backline premiums that I missed to fix that that extra captaincy option through the midfield. That's the positive opportunity of injuries and long-term suspensions. Yeah, and I think the other guy that will probably be on people's chopping block for that reason, and it's mainly people with Rao only, is... You start coming into your, your Jordan Clarks, you know, maybe your Joe Danaher's if someone went him. Mm. Guys that you think, if I restructure here, you know, if you took Jordan Clark down to just say you miss a James Jordan or you maybe you miss a James Rowe, like that's awfully tempting to take what really is two mid-price guys. Obviously, Rao's on the higher end and you maybe had aspirations for him being a keeper. Um, and maybe you're taking Jordan Clark the stepping stone down. All of a sudden, that restructure can probably get you another really good mid, another really good forward, and also that rookie that you want. So I think a lot of people with Rao will be really looking at that move just to get the cash. Because like you said, there's not much to shop with when you're dealing with Rao just due to the price we got him at. And obviously, like we said, the aspirations we had for him due to that injured game. So I think Jordan Clark, again, as I said, Danaher, even Paddy Dow, I could see some people going, I've got 70, 80K to take them down to that rookie. And I can act something with Rao. So it's it's frustrating because you're burning two trades just for the restructure. You'd love to take Rao to a guy, you know, again, if you've got enormous faith in Stevenson, by all means, do it. But I think a lot of people will feel safer getting that really solid premium, even if it means sacrificing a mid-pricer. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, there's a player that that's getting talked about a little bit in the AFL fantasy community, but not getting much communication or, or perspective across the other formats. And, I, and I'm keen on both of your takes on him. Um, nice break even in AFL fantasy. Still got a little bit of time for that to change in Supercoach and Dream Team with the three-week price cycle changes. Oleg Markov is a really interesting player for me. Nick Hind, you could probably put in that category too, where Stevenson's the go-to guy that we're talking about that's got friendly break-even, friendly roll, things like that. I'm not hearing as much about those two fish. Um, 
Talk to me about Markov because last week he came off a game where he had 17 kicks, 20 possessions, 14 marks. He was one of three Gold Coast defenders. It was Lacocious, Bose, and Markov that were just kicking the ball in the back line to each other. What do we do with a player like that? Is he in that same sort of conversation of Stevenson where it's not enough, but it's a good stretch? Like, what do we do with Oleg Markov? Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly seems to be a play in uh, AF this week, that's for sure. Mm. But the, the price is there. It's very tempting. Um, as we're saying, you know, with the DPP action, it is quite easy to get someone like that into your team this week. And talk about players changing clubs, players actually getting an opportunity, players getting a role, you know, someone that's come out of that Richmond club and culture and just could not squeeze in there. I mean, you've got guys mm. like Basha Hooley and Jaden Short sitting in front of him in the queue there. So it's very hard for him to get it. But you know, as Kane mentioned before, we're looking for these guys with these new rules that can run, um, mm. you know, an athlete that can run. And he's certainly that. They obviously like to have the ball in his hands. And there is a move as well. Obviously, the Suns have done it a little bit. They're playing a possession game in that back half where they're trying to keep control of the ball. Um, and he's certainly a guy for them that is bound a lot of it in that first round and obviously the preseason as well. So, Markov, I think the harder thing that you look at in the other formats is if you stretch just that little bit more from him, there mm. are other options, you know, that are probably a bit safer, you know, your, your Hunter Clarks and even your Zach Williams and those types of guys, which yeah. are going to have midfield type roles. Whereas Markov, so much of what he is going to do is going to be that kick mark in the back line for him to score. He doesn't have the, I suppose, the safety of the midfield role. Yeah. But he certainly does have at the moment a role for what his price is, where the numbers will flow. I'm curious, and and again, we'll talk about Hind in a second with you, Kane. I'm curious, Fish, what weighting do you put as a as a fantasy player on a, on the meters gained stats? The reason I bring this up is if we look at those kind of three Gold Coast defenders that I alluded to in Markov, Lacocious, and Bose, his meters gained is incredibly different compared to those players. So Bose. Huge score, 100% disposal efficiency. Everybody just absolutely lost their nanas about that. But he had a meters gained of 607, pretty handy. Uh, Lacocious, again, tons across the formats, has a meters gained of 787. Well, even with that 17 kicks, 20 possessions, yep, uh, 14 marks, it was only 224 meters gained for Markov. Is that a stat line we we should pay some level of attention to when considering a player like him? Or, or is it not his game, not his problem? Well, it's probably, when you look at it, I mean, the AFL coaches necessarily aren't going to be as worried about guys like that where they're, I suppose, if they're not carrying and running and, and creating lines, that those type of players tend to be ones that the actual coaches will leave alone. Um, yeah. You know, as opposed to these other guys where they are, you know, someone like a Lacostis in particular with the role that he's playing where, you know, he was probably starting as a tall forward, then he started to run down back, they're now using him as a link up through the midfield. And he's an amazing kick of the football as well, mm. that's for sure. So while he may not be that stereotypical sort of midfielder slash wingman, he's a guy that just has ended up there, he might be someone that they are a little bit more worried about than your Markov, that's for sure. Yeah, it's good. Talk to me about Nick Hind, um, Kane. Again, more popular in AFL fantasy. I think part of the reason isn't just his price point, but also the the likely future DPP that will come at the end of round five with that clear, distinct halfback role. Is he again, another viable option for us to look at as a, a sideways downgrade potential maneuver for us this week? 
It's really funny, MJ. The ones we're all speaking about for AFL fantasies, Stevenson, Hind, Caldwell, and Markov. And again, all at new clubs, mm. all in pretty much different roles. Markov, not so much a role, but obviously, as Fish said, the opportunity is just chalk and cheese to what he had at Richmond. Yeah. Um, Hind's a really interesting one. Again, he's more on that meters gain side with his run and carry. Um, and also, not only a new club, but what went out the door. You know, when you lose McKenna and Saad, who played that role, and even Fantasia, when he was in the last few years, was actually moved across house back, back for that pace. Um, so Essen really valued that clearly. And um, what he delivered was impressive. It was a pretty all round game for a half back. They have 25 touches, six marks, four tackles. Um, you really can't ask too much more. I think when I look at the flip side of that, is does that seem to be a sustainable? type of score or even mm. getting within maybe 15 points of that because that's about as good a game as I could ever expect from any kind and he, and he just touched the ton so again I think he's an AF play that short term you know get on him get off um, matchups don't excite me as much as a Markov you know a Markov playing in North Melbourne at home when there's this clear you know, possession strategy with, you know, five defenders having 10 plus marks. Like I think yeah. when we have that coupled with the preseason where we saw, you know, marks everywhere, you know, we had willpower 12 and we had another six guys have seven plus. So yeah, that's two games of a clear strategy. And if you watch them play, they didn't want to turn it over. They no. wanted to chip it back, retain possession and reduce the time in a game where someone can score. And we saw that, Talked about Fremantle last year. The games were so short and the defense was so good. They could keep themselves in it mm. and try to jag the win late. And I feel like Gold Coast is almost taking that approach where it's like a soccer team. We're not going to turn it over. We're happy to possess it, chip it back and forth. Mm. And I think it's that trend that is going to continue at least in the immediate term. So back on hind, I, I don't see the Bombers doing that when I look at their score again. On the weekend against Hawthorne, six marks was the most that a Hawthorne that a Essendon player took against Hawthorne. So I don't see that sort of kick mark game. Um, so for me, I just think Hind was great, but again, to think it's sustainable enough more than a two three week burst, I think is risky. Um, so in the pecking order, he's probably fourth for mine out of that Stevenson, uh, Markov, and Cordwell all ahead of him. Um, I think Cordwell might have the most likelihood to be a keeper. Mm-hmm. But again, those other two guys in Markov and, and Stevenson are cheaper prices than Caldwell and had bigger scores. We saw such a big fluctuation in scores last week and, and it's going to happen for the next five to six weeks where so many of our teams are still very cash cow dependent on the field and that along with our captaincy choices probably are the two most defining factors to whether or not we got a 2000 2200 2300 in super coach or whether he got a 1800 1900 or, or hit that 2000 marker in afl fantasy and dream team rookie roulette's going to be a part of it it, the the gap of points between a bergman and a row was 30 points odd in Dream Team and Fantasy, 50-odd points in Supercoach. Similarly, you might have gone, I'm putting Goulden on the bench and I'm trusting Braden Campbell. That's about a 50-point or 100-point turnaround, depending on the format that you play. Uh, Fish, how do you make sure, as best you can, you win rookie roulette? Is there a surefire way to help ourselves not get caught in this, ah, I could have got 20 points here, 30 points here, 80 points there? 
I think the big thing is, is that you have to win it in round one. In round two, you probably find that it's not as big of an issue because people will tend to follow last week's yeah. score. So, yeah. you know, you look at that last week. I mean, I was one that started Bergen over row in all formats. Yep. Um, and this week, you know, you would look at it and say, righty, well, I might start row on my field based on the points. But that's the thing that you, you pretty much can guarantee that all of those people that made that decision last week will reverse it and start rowing the field this week. So you've then got to have a look at it and think, well, hang on a second, what happened here? You know, the Crows were up and about. They were, you know, running all day. James Rowe got his goals. He got his touches. He pulled out the 80. Is that same thing going to happen this week? Mm. And that's where you then have to start to think about it. So while the vast majority will be going row, you've got to be smart about it then and say, you know, just using this as the case study. Mm. Well, is that going to happen this week? And if it's not, then you back yourself in. Um, you can play it a safe way and you can get the same points as probably 80% of the people that will start him on the field for the next week that didn't the week before. Yeah. But you've just sometimes got to go with your gut with the way that those matchups are. You did it in round one, so why not do it in round two? Um, if you want to play the safe way, then you know that's the way that you go about it. But that's the thing. I think it, it's much harder to, to win rookie roulette in rounds two, three, and four anyway, um, because most people are doing the same type of thing. So for you to do it, you've got to be really strong in your convictions as to why you're going to do what you're going to do yeah. and actually just go ahead. And, you know, if it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off. But just yeah. keep going ahead with that on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, and, and I think, Kane, go for it, man. No, MJ, how many times would you have gone picked a Adelaide player against Geelong? You know, the most restrictive, Adelaide forward possessive against team. Geelong. And again, what most... Exactly, exactly. So, and then on the flip side, you had Miles Bergman, who'd shown in the preseason that he can score. He's got yeah. a nice role and he's playing North Melbourne under the roof. Like, you mm. just, everything was pointing to Port get a nice win. There's some um, nice kick mark for the first gamer. Let's, you know, let's send him off on a nice way with a few late touches. So, you can't beat yourself up. Like Fish said, you know, you made that decision. You know, you chose, in this instance, Bergman over Rowe. Yeah. Again, reassess this week. Like, you look at, you know, Adelaide's got Sydney. We're using this example still. You know, Sydney were really good. Is that a tough matchup? Mm. As you said again, is he going to kick his goals? Like, that's always the thing with the Ford that's really tricky. Bergman's got Essendon. Mm. Again, Will Day had a really good score for the Hawks. Like, is this a matchup? Is Bergman just going to be better up first game? Because what always I always come back to MJ is, and it's not a knock on the guy, but it just is what I always think of. It's Bailey Scott. Yeah. That first round when Bailey Scott debuted and he looked a million bucks. I think he had a 90 <laughs> in DT and 100 in Supercoach. And there were so many rookies that year that people were clamoring to get Bailey Scott in after round one. That's right. We've just moved heaven and earth. And he came out. I've just pulled it up. He came out and scored a 30 oh. in DT and a 24 in Supercoach. I remember that. And then the next week, I think he he played with Gastro and had 46 and a 48. Didn't didn't play the next week, scored a 40 in both formats and was not seen again for the rest of the year from round six <laughs> and beyond. So one game does not make a rookie, even yeah. if that game was sensational. Like Bailey Scott, 21 touches, eight marks, two goals. Like how good is that? Right. But it was one game. You have to reassess. And I think, like Fisher, you have to just back yourself. If you think Port's going to win, um, if you think Bergman's going to be better second up, if you don't think Rowe's going to get his goals, 
just back it in. Don't just be chasing those points because they scored it last week. There, there's yeah. no guarantee of that. So, as we said, round one's the round where you make those big gains on people. You, you have yeah. those lucky breaks. You have those Gordons over Campbells, those row over Bergmans. Um, yeah, everyone really does just follow what happened last week. But, um, again, on the flip side, there's points to be gained if you do go against it. That's what this game's all about. Yeah, it's true. And, look, the most important thing with rookie roulette is you have them. It, the mm. points on field matter. Absolutely they do. But why do you have a cash cow to generate income? Nothing more. And points are just a nice little side benefit there. All you're trying to do is move them out of your side as quickly as you can at the max priced potential. You're not worried about whether they drop a, a 50 or a 46, I think, Campbell. Are you worried about, is that your biggest concern this week? Gosh, maybe your bigger concern could be, oh, I didn't like that the score of a Jordan Dugowie. And that's a question we'll get to him in a second. Maybe that's the bigger concern you should be considering. Or, oh, Jake Lloyd didn't look anywhere near it this week. Now, was that the game style? Was that the weather? Was it? But if you're worried about your cash cow on field, I think your team's doing just fine. Uh, you're in a good position. If they're your biggest problems of winning rookie roulette, you're in a sweet spot for the rest of the year. Rather, it might be some underperforming premiums. They're the ones you should be more concerned about than that. All right, let's get to some of these cash cow premium questions uh, that we've got from a bunch of different uh, Patreons. Of course, if you want to join that Patreon supporter group, you can. Coachespanel.tv, all the links. Let's talk about him. Uh, Sriram has asked that question about Jordan Dugowie. Fish, I'll throw it over to you. Was it just a bad score in the setting of a game or should there be some alarm bells for Jordan Dugowie owners? Never alarm bells after one game unless you know things are just completely out of your control in terms of the role I mean he, he played pretty much what people had said he was going to play in the preseason mm. um, he just didn't get the ball like we've seen <laughs> other clubs use their stars and, and that's the thing you know these guys which are there you know realistically he's probably getting close to Collingwood's um, you know I hate to use the term but marquee player he's the one that they see themselves building that slash forward line midfield around like your Dusties, like your Petrarchas at Melbourne. Um, he's the one that they want to take that next step. So from one game, I don't think the alarm bells are there. You look at the matchups like we spoke about. I mean, they got smashed around the ball by that Bulldogs midfield who will yeah. probably catch up quite a lot of midfields this year. Yeah. Um, you know, going forward, they just, when he was there, he wasn't used like say a Richmond user Dusty down there where they just try to funnel everything through him. So I think there is, and we said it before, everything's about data. You've picked this guy because of all the noise that's come out of preseason. You've picked him on the basis of that natural improvement, the pickup and fitness, the role that he's going to play. I think at the very least, you sit with him for this week, have a look at mm. it again this week. And you know what? If he's your only problem next week, you make a call on it next week. But yeah. going forward, playing who they're going to be playing, got to give him another week to have a look at and then you can see from there. And yeah, I think the other cool. thing to take into consideration with him is he does have, you know, the early game in the week as well. So you can have mm. a look at him. You can see what he's going to do. And like we say, you always want to be thinking forward to next week, what you're going to be doing. So we're on the opposite side of it. Danger's got the early game and it makes it very hard to make that call. At least the is up and away early. And if he's terrible and he stinks and you want to get rid of him, 
then you can start to look at what you're going to do next week. But I think, you know, I don't own him, but I think if I did, I think he'd still be in your team next week regardless. Yeah, nice thoughts. Uh, Craig wants to know, Kane, it's a super coach question. What's your thoughts on Jack Bowes? His role seems to be good as the core distributor out of the back line. He's considering using some DPP when trading out a Matt Rowell. What do you think about that move? I'd love to see Bose use it a bit better, MJ, after you mentioned he wanted 100% output. So um, we'll start there. Um, I just think the bar is so high in these defenders. Like, I don't even know when we'll get Lockie Whitfield back, if we can even plan to have him at any stage. But you look at some of the guys that are going around, Lloyd, Laird, Stewart, Short, Doherty, Mills with this midfield role, Caleb Mm. Daniel, like, we're already well past six. So I just think if these guys are all, and Zach Williams is going to make his debut, yeah. if these guys are all, in my estimations, 95 plus, I just find it hard for both to scale those same heights. I know it's awfully tempting off a massive score, but my mind oh, immediately yeah. goes to I've missed the massive score. If I've yeah. got him going 100 for the season, like that's a 98 with what he's already delivered. So for me, um, it would be a fun play in AF, maybe. But mm. really, he, he's not—he's too much for a stepping stone. Um, you're picking him to keep him for the year, or at least in AF, AF fantasy for the bulk of the season. Um, yeah. If you love him, if you just can't go another week not having him in your side, by all means. But um, yeah, I think that back one's stacked. So I'd be looking um, somewhere else a bit more proven. Oh, I like it. Paul Erickson wants to know, Fish. Is it just too simplistic to go danger to Dusty? I know we talked about him earlier at the episode. Or is it better to chase the cash in the forward line and then use that amount of salary cap to maybe improve your team elsewhere? What do you reckon? So Fish? we're looking at whether we use just one trade for pretty much a top top three to five forwards, just trade and move on and get that trade done pretty much before the Cats play. Um, if you've got the likes in the other formats, I, I think you can have a bit of a look around. Um, yeah. Certainly in an AF, there is a little bit of value to play with, as the names, names we've mentioned before. And the beauty of AF is the two trades a week, you use them or lose them. So you have to make that trade. And then you can use that remaining cash that's there from going to someone with a lot of fat in them to upgrade another line. Real dream team. I still think Dusty is going to be one of the top forwards, but mm. I'm not as keen on him in that format as I'm in Supercoach. So, look, in a nutshell, Supercoach, yep, just make the trade and move on. Yeah. The other two formats, it really does depend on what else is happening elsewhere in your team. And I think the other formats, because it is so easy to pick that top tier of defenders in particular in your real dream team, mm. danger can possibly become someone there, can become someone in your midfield. There's just too many other options just to say move it to Dusty and real dream team. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a really interesting call. Uh, we'll throw the last question over to you, Kane, because a lot of them are, what should I do with Dangerfield questions? What should I do with Rao questions? What should I do with my Ruck questions? Understandable Covered, too, MJ. Understandable sort of too, given they're the big here. issues of the week. Um, here's the one last one that I want to throw out to you. It starts with Rao and Dangerfield. opens up a little bit more. Okay. Super coach. I'll drop this down. Yeah, that's it. That's yep. right. Yeah, it's not one. Of, it's not trade radio where there's sixteen clubs available. Radio, no, no, no. It's not Just you doing trade on, radio. I've got again. a twenty-eight club trade. 
I've got 28 clubs, no. 72 players moving, and the club I support gets all the good players. It's not one of those. Yeah. Don't Here it is. <laughs> it's a super okay. coach question. He's a Rowland yep. Dangerfield owner. He's look, he's happy to trade them both. His question is this though. Am I better to go off and getting in guys like the Dusties, the Stevensons, the, the whoever he's decided? Is that the right focus for him? Or should his focus be getting the cash cows that he's missed, like a James Jordan and James Rowe? What should be his focus? He's got injured premiums or hoped premiums in Rao, and he's got missed cows. He's got two big problems. What does he do? Uh, I'd definitely be moving primo to primo with, with yeah. that crew, Rao and Dangerfield. And obviously we spoke at length about some of the various options you can have. Um, first on Jordan, at halftime, Jordan was on 70 mm. in the formats. And he finished on 78 in low 80s. So you think about that. He had a really good half, a, a sensational half, a half that we'd be happy with from our premiums. But he also scored about 10 to 15 points in the second. So unfortunately, there's nothing to say, like I mentioned with Bailey Scott, that Jordan's not a 30 to 40 guy last week. Again, he kicked some goals. He was laying mm. tackles left, right and centre. So I guess... The point I'm making is I don't think we know who the cash cows are we have to have. Again, maybe Goulden, I think, has maybe probably cleared that. Mm. Mainly because, for me, the job security's off the charts. I think Rose got pretty good job security with everything that's going on at Adelaide in that small forward department. I think he's cleared that void. Yeah. But, you know, Jack Viney's coming back into that Melbourne team. I know James Harms has just gone out, but really um, what Harms is doing isn't really what Jordan was doing. Jordan really is sort of another inside bull. Really, yeah. that's his skill set. Um, so definitely keep the cash on the field. You've got two big primos. Get that back going. Whatever your two primos are you like, put that on the field. And you've always got next week. I think we've got to remind totally. people that last year we had to we had to make this call after one round because prices were going to change. We're back to the old school. We've got two full games to look at. Mm. And data is probably the, the one takeaway from this pod, but having that extra week, especially on these rookies. And it's not just for scoring power. It's, are they in their, their team's side? You know, we were worried mm. about a Tommy Highmore. You know, Harry Sharp was a surprise. You know, Bergman made it in. Mm. But players coming in and out of these sides, left, right, and center, especially in the early part of the season, there's nothing worse than spending this trade because you think it's a cash cow you need. And, you know, them getting dropped. And obviously, frustratingly, them getting injured, which can happen. So yeah. give it as much time as possible. Got injured the next week, you're going to get some price rise in the game. Will it, will it be the whole whack of cash you wanted? No, but at least it's something. So get the primos. You've got another week to look at two cows. If you need more than two cows next week because you missed a bunch, well, guess what? You might just have to pay up 50, 60K if you really, really want them. Um, yeah. And we know MJ seasons aren't broken if you do that. That's more than okay. That's happened to a lot of people in the past and they've had ripping seasons. 50, 60 just K. The other, yeah, go fish. Just one other one with those cows is the, the problem with teams being named the way that they are now as well is if you are trying to get these cows and nail them down, yeah. you know, you might have to make that call and then they could very well, as we've seen last week, you know, Connor Downey, who was named to be debuting, everyone <laughs> thinking he was in the team, the teams were announced. So if you got that information on a, say, Friday afternoon and you move to that, he could very, the, the cash cow that you bring in that you deem to be the must-have cash cow, 
could end up being the sub and not play at all for that game, which is great because then there's no price change. But he, at the same time, might get five minutes at the end of a game regardless yeah. of what happens. So just reinforcing that point Kane has just made. That's a great point, point, Fish. That's such a scary proposition, isn't it? <laughs> well, you've got that option. And you know these guys, and we're saying about data, data for these other premiums is data that we've based on years. If you're making calls on a rookie after one game, if everything that we've said, you know, the likes of Kane talking about Bailey Scott and then the the rule changes and the sub calls and the teams being named the day before now, the best thing that you can do is just give yourself as much of a chance as possible to nail that rookie call. So that's one more week at least for those ones. Yeah, I like that. Boys, what some absolute nuggets of gold you've dropped for the fantasy footy community that listen to this episode. You've, you're going to help out a bunch of people uh, with some of those thoughts. Kane, mate, as always a pleasure. Thanks for dropping by. No problem, MJ. Pleasure as and, always. And speaking of dropping by, Fish just sends a message mid-episode recording going, lads, I'm free. Do you want in? Two minutes later, he pops in, mate. An absolute Absolutely. pleasure. Busy boy, mate. That's the way it goes. But no, it was good to be back on board. Cheers, boys. Uh, if you want to go and check out uh, the, this episode again or any of the other future episodes that have come, you can go and make sure you subscribe via Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts to be able to go get these episodes. Of course, articles dropping all the time at coachespanel.tv that are going to help you make the big decisions you're going to make for your fantasy footy sides. And you can join our Patreon supporter group where there is exclusive groups to join access to podcasts, articles, and a bunch of other stuff that just don't get anywhere else, but our Patreon friends, they do. Look, good luck heading into round two, just hours away now as you're listening to this, just hours away from it getting underway. Hope it all goes your way. I hope you cash cow. You're winning in that decision. Your captain does better than Max Gorn did for you last week. But we'll chat to you very soon from all of us here at the Coaches Panel. Give it to you.